Dr. Yoho, welcome to the show. Thank you. And you don't have to doctor me. I'm retired. <laughs> I know. I, I, you, you have no <laughs> idea how, how badly no I wanted to say like, what's up, doc, as soon as you picked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a friend that says that every time he answers the phone. I'm sure it's it's fun. I mean, it's great to know doctors. Like I know my parents are going to be proud of this episode because <laughs> uh, they love when I talk to anybody that's got a, a MD after their name. But you you have had a very decorated uh, career and have done a lot of things. And so uh, you're at a very fascinating I think point uh, in your career now to get to reflect back and 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 give us some gems and uh, point out some of the incongruencies and things that you're seeing. People in my age who who do this find it very satisfying, and mm-hmm. uh, I, it's, it's something you you won't understand until you're in your 60s. But writing about your experiences and so on even if nobody reads it, which is the case for most authors, 4,500 books are published every day on Amazon. So, so right. I'm, I'm sparsely attended my words, but it's still very satisfying. Let me just do my quick disclaimer. Okay. Yeah. This, I, I'm forced to do this by the medical quote environment, unquote, right? This isn't medical care. And if you have a problem, see your doctor. And this is for informational purposes only. It should be used at your own risk. Yeah, <laughs> I'm you, sorry you just, about that. You did it for the both of us. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. All right. We have a, we have a disclaimer in the books. This is good. Um, I want to know about the turning point because you, you had a career where, you know, you were very successful in every segment of it that, you know, you were involved in, I think, cosmetic surgery for a little while, right? And then um, you've studied hormones for the last couple, like every segment that you kind of have involved yourself in, what was the point where you started to see maybe the corruption in the system or, or things that, uh, you know, were behind the scenes that you don't really see until it's on like a Netflix documentary? Well, I wish it would get on Netflix. Uh, Netflix is cautious about what they air because of the people that they offend and their advertisers. Totally. Um, and don't don't overestimate my success. You know, I've managed to do well enough so I could retire on a small income, but uh, it's been a tough road every step of the way. So, I um, what what got me into this was I had a career as a cosmetic surgeon and I did bioidentical hormone therapy for my uh, patients during that career. Now this is 95% women. So it was primarily dealing with women who were going into the change of life and the results were, were near miraculous. They were, they, I mean, it made such a difference to them. And I read and I studied the material as I went along and I actually took a lot of training and I couldn't believe how the narratives were adulterated. And there are, uh, you know, industry fingerprints all over this. Um, and as we get further into it, you'll understand how the interlock of the FDA and the industry and the academics all predisposed to um, making the whole thing profitable and kind of uh, anti-patient, really. But I I looked at this and I couldn't figure it out. And I read about it and I got into the hormone um Uh, literature and the hormone science. And I found that there were these, quote, black box warnings put on by the FDA after the marketing, after after aftermarket for testosterone, progesterone, and estrogen, which were, I mean, they're the tremendously valuable and exceedingly safe used as medicines. These things are hormones and they now come in bioidentical forms that are the same as inside your body. We have over 100 years experience with thyroid, nearly 100 years experience with testosterone and estrogen, and 
the, I mean, the other ones, even growth hormone, we have about 50 years experience with it. So we understand the systems that they alter and we understand what they do. And yet these things were being uh, libeled with this uh, idiocy from the FDA. So I'm, I'm like Rip Van Winkle. I was asleep uh, my whole career. I mean, I, we, doctors just struggle with the uh, responsibilities of patient care. It's, it's an all-consuming thing. Oh, yeah, and sure. You, you, don't, never, you hardly get a chance to catch your breath. And so I kind of woke up to this stuff and started studying, and I thought I'd encounter a can of worms. And what I encountered was a freaking dumpster full of worms. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was horrible. I mean, the medical corruption, the entire system is riddled with conflict of interest. And that's the kind way to put it. Right. I think the unkind or the more accurate way to put it is bribery. And, and the, these entities pay each other back and forth. And they, the, the poor doctors, now we're trained, we're smart, and we're, you know, we're, have ethical uh, ideals, but we're lost in the, in the back and forth between the industrial medicine elements. And that's, that's just, that's an abstract way to put it, but we've been bought off too. I mean, that's, that's the, the bottom line. And the, the people that go along with it can make a lot of money still. So, so that's, that's my background that's and crazy. how I got started. You know, what's crazy about this is I had a client once who, uh, she works kind of a, as a, as an ER nurse and, um, she was explaining how every time there's a patient that comes in and when they have to interact with insurance companies and things like that, uh, you based off of what you bill it for, you make more money off of certain things than others. Right. And that's not, you know, that's a small behind the scenes thing that I'm sure everybody's uh, aware of. But for me, it kind of made me go, wow, okay, immediately right there, you've got, I'm sure you can bend the rules a little bit. Um, and, and <laughs> yeah. the, the hospitals have buildings filled with coders and these people who fabricate the uh, diagnoses and the, uh, you know, the situations that the emergency doctors are, are, are encountering in order to make more money. And uh, my friends who are emergency physicians now say that they have people assigned to them to bird dog them to make sure they charge extra. And for example, they come in with a, a back pain. If they don't get an x-ray or better yet, an MRI or some crazy uh, CT scan, plus give them an injection of opioid narcotics, right? Mm -hmm. And plus get blood, blood labs. Um, th they get chewed on by the coders. I mean, it's, it's really crazy. And this, this, this system is not, the hospitals are rapacious. The hospitals are now 30 to 40% of the whole medical bill. And they, I mean, they're, they're agnostic about patient welfare. I mean, they're, they're, they're money-making machines and they are, most of them are nonprofit, 70% of our nonprofit, which means they don't have any oversight. Mm. Um, so it, it's, it's a wild scene and it's all presided over by an insurance industry that takes 25% of the gross revenues off the top of the 4 trillion healthcare bill. I mean, it's just, it's, it, if you designed it to be a mess, you couldn't have done any better. Wow. And I mean, there, the other thing, like she worked at a, a privately owned hospital, I guess. And I work with some other clients who happen to be doctors or in that industry where, uh, you know, I guess there is like, I mean, anytime anything is privately funded and, and you have humans and bias involved. I mean, that's a recipe for, for some, uh, drama to happen, right? We, we used to think that the 
private or that the the public companies were the problem, that the big pharma and the big medical device industry and that the other things that were publicly funded, like the CDC and the World Health Organization and the National Institutes of Health were much more objective. But we have found out in the last 18 months that these things are totally bought off. They have lost all credibility. And, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing is an integrated uh, mess of payments back and forth. And have you read anything about influence theory and Caldini. I mean, this, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, this is all about that. And unless your listeners understand influence theory a little bit and they can just go to Wikipedia and look up Robert Caldini influence to, to understand it and better yet, they can read his book of the same name. But if I didn't understand this fully, I couldn't believe that doctors could be bought off like this, especially doctors, because I was one. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe that the money changing hands could influence the behavior so profoundly. But the bottom line is, is once money, and the lawyers understand this, once money changes hands, the well is poisoned. That's the way it works. And, you know, even fee for service is, is a bad incentive because you're incentivized to do more procedures or or see patients more often than would be appropriate or whatever. So we've got two, two health systems in the United States. We got the HMOs who arguably are incentivized to do less, sometimes not to do enough. And that's, that's been written about widely. And Mm -hmm. then we have the other system where, I mean, it's insane overbilling and all these uh, uh, procedures that maybe aren't, I mean, it's just, it's impossible to uh, overcome a conflict of interest where your pocketbook is involved. I mean, you just can't do it. Uh, You cannot separate your interests from the interests of the patient and the patient's interests must be paramount. They must be the important thing. And, and it's, it's changed. So it's very hard to do that. It's very hard because, uh, you know, I also lived in Canada for a couple of years. And when I was there, I remember, you know, falling on the basketball court and getting like a first degree type burn or scrape on my hand where I tried, you know, one of my roommates at that school tried to help uh, patch it up and it didn't work. And then eventually it was like, all right, this is infected or something and I have to go see somebody. And I didn't have you know, I didn't have healthcare there or anything. I had it in the U.S., but uh, one of my roommates, who, who, by the way, we look nothing alike. He gave me his card. Okay, I took it to the hospital because you can go to the hospital whenever you want, kind of there, right? And it doesn't cost extra. Um, and you know, the got like the doctor actually looked at me even though my ID did not match anything of what I actually look like. And I was very surprised by the whole experience because I waited for at least two hours, right, in the in the waiting room. And when he actually got to see me, it was like he barely looked at my hand. He barely, like, it, the whole experience was like a minute long, right? And so I got a glimpse at like, okay, if if there was no incentivization, right, and if if there's just like, hey, I don't know exactly how it works in Canada, but uh, it is a little different, right? Where you get you get paid kind of a flat amount, maybe if you're a doctor, versus here, there's a little bit more of a capitalistic drive to it. Um, it's, here is an awful mix of capitalism and socialized. It's just it's a it's a mix that doesn't work. Right and there, it's more towards the socialized stuff, and that doesn't okay. work either. So yeah, so those are kind of two sides of it, right? Is there what's your is there um an ideal theory of like what, cause I'm sure you thought a lot about, about, about this and I know there's no perfect solution, but what is, what is kind of something that maybe meets in the middle? Well, we're, we're jumping to the end of the podcast, but I'll, ah, let's, okay. let's give them a treat here and, and yeah. let them know. Okay. So first of all, 
we have, you, you know, we, we mustn't pray. I mean, there are a lot of people who look at England from afar or Canada from afar or these other countries from afar, and they think it's, they've got great health care. But if anybody that lives there understands that it's, it's imperfect to say, mm-hmm. to make the pros and cons. ecumenical. Yeah. There are pros and cons. And so we, here in the United States, we have three government run healthcare programs and none of them work, right? We've got <laughs> Medicare, the Indian Health Service and the VA, which is the biggest mess of all. Yeah. And I, I don't have to justify any of that. Any physician that's worked inside those programs understands their limitations. So at the end of my uh, book, Butchered by Healthcare, I have a a list of things that would work if they were implemented. And they're, I mean, they're radical ideas and it's never going to get done because the, essentially the industry the industry is the wealthiest and the largest force in America. It's bigger than the U.S. government. Healthcare industry is bigger than the U.S. government. I mean, it's $4 trillion. The U.S. government revenues are 3.5. Of course, they spend a lot more than that. So, I mean, maybe the government is a little bigger, but it, it's in the same size range. Right. And just to give, to give your listeners to re- recall about how big it is relative to these tech companies, the tech companies have market caps that are bigger than the Fed, the federal government, or... Healthcare. I mean, they look. Apple and um, Google alone have market caps that are the same size as the federal government. I mean, it's, <laughs> right. it's crazy. The wealth a lot of influence. That, so there's a lot of influence, and so um, what we can do to change things. I mean, healthcare has far more. Pharmaceutical industry has far more um, lobbying power and lobbying dollars with the U.S. Congress than any other industry. I mean, there are there are comparisons to oil, natural gas, and uh, banking and healthcare dwarfs them, you know, and they're, wow. they're big lobbies. So um, we, it's hard to imagine that any of these proposals that I make would work. So I generally, uh, you know, I, and I've got a chapter on possibilities. It's theoretical. Yeah. Um, there are things like getting rid of health, uh, healthcare patents. That would just slow the whole thing down or getting rid of prescriptions. That's been done in other countries. And that sounds heretical to your average, average physician. And I came to that one as like a hard, slow process as I studied this stuff for three years. Um, but so would, I the try, th- would the alternative there be everything's over the counter? That's right. Gotcha. Everything but amphetamines and opioids and, yeah. uh, and probably anti, antipsychotics, antidepressants, gotcha. which I mean, that stuff should be contained. It shouldn't be used, but it wouldn't be used if it was over the counter because people would try one and they realize it made them feel terrible. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then that, this is all my theoretical stuff, but the thing that people can do, your listeners can do is they can figure out as much as they can about the system. I mean, they can read my book. It's got 500 references and you can you can dive in as deeply as you want, or you can understand the whole thing in about two and a half, three hours. And if you look and research the, the hospital systems and the medical care in your environment, in your immediate environment, you are ahead of the game. You may not get ripped off so badly because you go to the wrong hospital. If you're in an uh, urban area like New York, you have a lot of, or LA, you have lots of choices. Yeah, but, that's what I was going to yeah, ask this, is you is like, what yeah. is the, uh, like as a user or consumer on the other side of it, who's maybe not a physician and we have to use a hospital one day or, or maybe find a doctor. Like one of the things I know in at least, at least like our, you know, functional fitness type of community that I've watched that's become really big is telemedicine and people seeking out doctors Good. who that's are, right you know, across the internet. And one of the things that's frustrating about that is like, you know, 
there's an extra fee obviously for it that should go and it goes directly to whoever that doctor and that company is that small network right but it's not st- still developed to the point, I guess, where like that can't be your primary doctor in a way. You still have to have the prerequisites of whatever, you know, insurance companies and stuff require, I guess. Well, that's one of the, that's one of the big gifts, the, uh, you know, the rapid bandwidth and the internet has given us it. And Trump did an executive order that says that the medical boards can't censure a doctor for seeing someone on the first visit and subsequently. So it's it's not against the rules the way it was before. A good faith exam can be done, you know, over Skype or even over the phone. Right. Uh, and I don't think that Biden's throwing that out. It, it was a good idea. Um, and so now, it, okay, people in your age group, they don't have, they freaking don't have any problems, right? I mean, you think you have a problem. But here's of, the thing. Yeah, yeah, you think, yeah, that's the thing. You think you have a problem and there's a lot of, you're like, oh, it could be this, it could be that. And I can't tell you, like, you do start to, you know, especially watching uh, people who are older than you, people around you, family, like, right. it makes you think a little bit harder as you get a little older, right? Where you're like, man, I should, I should be covered in this area, <laughs> that area. Yeah, I should have my athletic greens or whatever the case might be. For the most part, you guys don't have any problems. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that for emphasis. Obviously, there are people that have problems. They have, you know, cancers and leukemia and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. it, when, when you get older, you got to realize that something's going to get you. <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> yeah. the, <laughs> these things, these things are, they're serious and they're complicated and medical care really can't help. And I, I want to make this disclaimer that you're going to hear me say a lot of negative stuff here. But I understand medicine is a miracle in many cases and, and doctors do miracles every day and sometimes we don't get any credit for it and i'm not recommending that you abandon medical care or seek out alternative providers because as the old as the saying goes just because there are problems in aircraft design that does not mean that magic carpets fly yeah yeah so if you have a complicated problem you can there are two things that you can do that are that are new and one is you can go to the best physician in the land and he or she will see you for a few hundred or a few thousand dollars virtually and you could they can review your record and they can direct your care from wherever you are and everywhere in america has the same care it's just the expertise varies and these people at these elite institutions are elite i mean you cannot imagine how hard it is to get in there to train or and even harder to become an academic and most of them have the advantage of personality skills as well as you know, they're smarts and most doctors are smart, Yeah, but those guys have it all in general, in general, obviously you can't completely. The, the ones that are virtual thing, that you're connecting with, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can, and you can, if you're running into problems, particularly if you don't feel well, then you know, there's something freaking wrong and that's yeah. your index. It's not some idea in your head. If you don't feel well, things are not going well. You can, you can get other consultations and I'm not recommending you abandon your, your ordinary physician. You need to be respectful and you need to, um, you, you know, you have, they, these guys have trained and they're, they're for the most part, they're very dedicated and they're idealistic even despite all these conflicts. Yeah. But researching the thing, and getting other additional help, it it's in in a complicated situation like cancer, which is very complicated in many cases, or these diseases of the elderly. And I include myself now at sixty seven <laughs> as an elderly person. But um, the other thing you can do, which is new, is you can 
develop relationships in these patient groups. Now, even though these things are largely sponsored by big pharma, they have exceedingly dedicated people inside them. And you can get advice that a- approaches physician level expertise inside these patient groups. These people have, you know, they've got a spouse or a, or a mother or something who had, had the disease and they're, oh, they're wow. different for every disease. So you can look into these things and search around and you can find mentorship and even ideas about your your care inside the patient groups. And this is new. These things, they're, they're you know, they're, it's very helpful. So those are the two things. Well, reaching, you said reaching physician or near physician level expertise, that type of access is just so unbelievable. It's, it's so unbelievable to think about because it was, I mean, we, we were talking about James Altucher before the show, right? He's somebody who yeah, really yeah. enjoyed his writing. He's somebody who, you know, now he's in New York, but at the time, I don't know, he was probably very far away from where I was, but being pulled in, listening to his podcast, consuming his writing, like that type of access uh, alone gives so much like uh, ideas are being shared that, you know, I may not have come across otherwise. Right. And so when you get to speak to someone who you, I guess, even maybe there's a placebo effect, right. If you're so bought into this person and like what they can do. And, and if you do speak to them, you're going to value that hour half hour consultation, you know, if if it's a a professional you trust. And that's where I saw in our functional fitness industry where it was born out of is the understanding. So there are certain physical therapists or certain medical professionals they are great, but they didn't understand the sport that they play and perform or even at an amateur level, like I want to be able to do this stuff like a lot of the recommendations maybe are outdated sometimes. So as soon as somebody who is like up to date with it and is like you said, presenting and articulating it in a really great way, um, it allows amazing access to that, you know, that type of, uh, expert, you know, you can learn anything you need to on YouTube, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Almost. I mean, you know, what I say is that these days it takes almost physician level expertise to navigate the healthcare. If you're a physician, Mm. you've got a better chance not to get some sort of horrible problem as a result of the healthcare. And it's, it's a mess. You have to understand the whole thing in order to navigate it. You have to understand what they're up to. Right. So one of the things you said was like uh, situations that get really bad, right, where they're they're tougher, more complex diseases that, you know, you may have to seek out multiple types of experts for. Uh, you said some anyone you, you can for a few hundred, a few thousand dollars, like let's say there's somebody out in Kentucky that you really admire and you love his philosophy and uh, who he's worked with, all that stuff. And so you're saying they can direct stuff that's going well, let me on tell let's say, you, in Pennsylvania. If you get somebody from Harvard, if you get somebody from Harvard who says that their your your therapy should be a certain way and they write a letter to your your person who's your local cancer doctor, those guys listen because they know that's the substance of a lawsuit if they don't. So oh. <clears throat> for these complicated <laughs> problems, there's a lot of detail and your local provider may miss some of it or they may not be expert. And But they have all the tools in their, in their toolbox. I mean, if, if they belong to any major hospital system, they have every freaking thing that can be obtained anywhere in the United States. So um, the, the, the things can be directed from an academic center or even a, 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 an expert from afar if you if you've fall, if you've fallen off the path, you know of what is best for you. And again, I mean, these things are complicated. Uh, the, the the diseases of elders, I mean, they're it takes very dedicated people to to work with uh, with all these things. And I, you know, 
I couldn't do that work. I never did it. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. I wanted to, you know, we talked, we touched a little bit on bioidentical hormones and you, you know, I mentioned how I had some clients who had experienced, uh, you know, they're not bodybuilders, but they were just every day look good, you know, feel good type people. And, um, they just got to a point where they noticed it was hindering their day-to-day energy levels. It was hindering. Okay. Is that the cover of the book? This is how you, here's how you figured out. There's my pitch. That's my, uh, hormone book. Oh, wow. It I love that. It was recently published. That's Thank amazing. It, yeah. T- talk to me a little bit about that because I, you, you, you said I might not be interested in this, but I am because I do work with some people and I have to be aware of it. Uh, you know, at times, especially when some of the clients I work with are, they've been doing this a while, right? So yeah, yeah. they, they, they are susceptible to being at these deficient levels that can maybe sometimes be done without, uh, therapy and stuff like that, or sometimes that's needed. So, uh, well, I'm curious to hear your analysis on it. Okay, so testosterone has been crashing in the entire population. And I think these studies are men and not women, but it's been crashing in the entire population for 30 years. We have documentation of that. And this has affected our health. Don't you think it's also women, though? Because, uh, I mean, it's uh, it's affecting men, but it's also affecting women to some degree because uh, things like, let's say, birth control, right? How heavily does that affect uh, hormone levels and, and, you know, the chemical concoction in your body? I don't know, but I'm sure uh, if there were more studies on that, like it's affecting both, especially as we're just more go-getters in society, you know, going after more and doing more. Everything is more, more, more. Miss, I try to stay away from mechanistic explanations. In in medicine, we look at, in theory, you know, because, I mean, things are a mess right now, but in theory, we're supposed to look at uh, patient studies. And what I was referring to was the studies that showed that testosterone was declining the whole population of men. Now, I I saw a lot of early problems in women. I saw saw these women that were in their mid-30s that were in premature menopause. And they they had hormone levels zero. They had hot flashes. And they they were going to get osteoporotic and have heart disease early, you know. And I, I got them on this stuff, and they tuned right up and became, I mean, they just, they, they just lit up. Uh, you know, like a light bulb. It was just wonderful. Uh, and, and taking this stuff chronically uh, saves lives and makes you live longer. Now that's controversial because you can't take people and put them in a, in a little chamber like rats and, and watch them, uh, you know, see how long they live, right? <laughs> right. Half on a diet and half, but, but it, I, it has to be true because the results are so profound. Um, so, um, I, uh, let me just introduce one small data point for yeah, the bioidentical hormones. Okay, so they prevent 80% of the Alzheimer's in some studies that if these women take estradiol or estrogen after the change of life around 50 through the end of their lives, they prevent probably at least half and in some studies say 80% of the Alzheimer's, and that, that, which is a stunning, stunning thing. Yeah. And this is not getting passed around. Uh, Alzheimer's is probably the most expensive single disease we have if you count the costs of long-term care costs. So, um, I mean, it's, it, it was such a stunning finding that I stuck all the references. I stuck 75 references in an appendix in Hormone Secrets. Wow. Um, just, just, and you know, this thing, if you understand that one factoid and you understand that we are using toxic drugs that even their inventors don't claim work very well, 10 of them, 
for 2000 a month each. I mean, that's what they use for Alzheimer's. And it's a big uh, existential question about whether people go on this stuff because it freaking doesn't work, you know, right. and, and they're toxic. So um, if they, if everyone understood this, we could prevent this massive swath of this horrible disease in, in our whole population. And, and that's just the introduction to hormones. I mean, the, your interest is uh, testosterone therapy. I would say it is that, but what fascinates me more, because I have gotten to hear, you know, that, that normally when you hear about hormones and, and testosterone, like it is testosterone therapy and it's related to men and the stats are, you know, it, it makes sense when you look at them and when you hear them, but how, especially because you have some experience also dealing with women, how, how does I guess the therapy, uh, it's because it's not testosterone replacement therapy for them. What is the... Yes, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Yes, it is. So how okay, does that so work? Testosterone gets broken down to estrogen. So Got it, it raises the estrogen levels in both men and women. And testosterone therapy alone has been used to treat both men and women because of the breakdown products and because it's so safe. So... Uh, does the approach I, vary or the... I guess the dosage varies. The dose is... Uh, 10 times in men what it is in women or something like that, maybe yeah. 20 times. I mean, it's, okay. it's, it's a huge thing. Uh, and you don't want to virilize women or give them a lot of acne or hair, but the stuff is relatively harmless. And I, I say that after um, a decade of prescribing it and, um, you know, reading the literature and understanding it. And I think my, that statement's borne out in Hormone Secrets. I think you can, you can understand it very easily that it's, it's super safe. So, yeah, in women, I started out, you know, I was working with cosmetic surgery patients and they didn't come to me for hormone replacement. But I mean, by the time I quit, most of them were over 50 and they were at horrible menopause symptoms and most of them weren't being treated. So I offered them and some of them had no interest in this, but I offered them, uh, you know, prescriptions for uh, this uh, kind of treatment. And the, the results I saw were nothing short of stunning. And I thought they were more, I thought I did more for them with that than I did with uh, by popping a pair of breast implants in them or right. uh, doing liposuction or a facelift. I mean, it, it is a long-term health improvement and the weight loss with testosterone just flows out over about a decade. It's the best weight loss drug we've ever had. And uh, wow. for, for men, the problem is that they get sterile. And uh, if you use testosterone chronically, so for younger men, up to maybe 40 or even a little later, there's a couple of things that can be done that stimulate the um, testosterone production without destroying your fertility. And that that's a, a pill form uh, called, uh, I think it's, uh, anyway, I, I don't want to misquote it, but there's, yeah. there's a pill they can take that stimulates testes and there's uh, HCG, which is an injection, and that helps too. And those are pretty harmless and they work until you get older and then you kind of give out and you need supplementation and the fertility issues probably aren't as important to you. Right. But also like the injuries and the recovery from that stuff, the aches and pains, the profoundly uh, better energy. And I'm assuming that is because like it's so it's such an it's so essential to other processes that are happening in your body. Right. Well, we we know a lot about hormone the way the hormones go around in the body. And, and that's absolutely accurate. I mean, it, it, testosterone, the major effects are these two breakdown products. One's called DHT, which has been run down because it's, it's involved in balding. And there, we have D, DHT blockers now to, uh, like finasteride, to, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to supposedly improve hair growth. But they're a disaster because DHT is vital 
for your uh, for your good health. And and then estradiol, which is probably the most important hormone of all for men and for women. And we have these we have these idiots who are blocking their estradiol, these men. And I mean, if you take 10 times the replacement dose of testosterone, maybe you need something to block the estradiol. But short of that, and that's the that's where the average bodybuilder starts. They start oh. at five to 10 times the replacement dose of testosterone or the equivalent in, you know, the anabolic steroids. And, and then they stack other things on top. And if you're doing that, you may need to block your estrogen. But I mean, estrogen levels are relatively harmless. I mean, they're, they're, they're good for you. They prevent heart disease in women. Mm. And if you keep those up, that's the other big effect is the heart disease rate goes down, down, down. And the estradiol levels in young men like you are the same as they are for women. I mean, they're uh, 90 to hundred. And if, if you, if you're treating older men who want to block that, um, you probably ought to kick them out of your practice and say, I'm not helping you with this one. How accessible is it now, especially because like back, I'm sure 10 years ago, even this was kind of like a thing that felt that only elites could get, or, you know, you were Tiger Woods and then you had, you know, a doctor that you went to and somebody that was like, it's like a concierge type service feeling. Uh, but now it's becoming more accessible, I feel. Well, the insurances don't pay for it. And if you, yeah. If you, it's, it's called off-label prescribing generally um, because, you know, we have about roughly maybe 50, 20 to 70% of our drugs are prescribed off-label. Nobody knows for sure. That means they're prescribed for something other than the original intent, which is written up in the prescribing data, right? That the product label. So they're prescribed off-label, but now we have a growing group of people I call hormone doctors who do this work with various degrees of expertise. And the, the great thing is you can learn about this and understand it and essentially help direct your care if you read my book. I've got resources to find these people. There are several national organizations and you should look in those groups. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and I guess like one of the other questions I have uh, is in terms of length, like how, because one of the clients I worked with you know, every two weeks, every certain amount of time, like he had to, he had to take an injection version of it, I think. And, uh, it was a smaller dose at first where he didn't really feel a difference for quite a while. Um, and then I think it had to be upped a little bit more whatever, but in terms of general actual day to day, I'm feeling a difference. I look different or something like that. Uh, how, I'm sure it varies from person to person, but traditionally, what do you see in terms of you, upon starting therapy? Oh, okay. So those injections, um, I think the optimal is twice a week, smaller dose oh, okay. twice a week. That way your levels are more even. Um, every two weeks is definitely too long. And once a week is probably the standard thing that a lot of people uh, do. The stuff lasts 72 hours and it's testosterone, cypionate or enanthate. And uh, they're about the same. So uh, it's twice a week. It's not painful if you if you learn how to do it properly with a small needle. And um, it's not probably quite as good as testosterone cream. Testosterone cream is bioidentical. Cream? It's absorbed in the form, in the, exactly the form that it's going to be used. Uh, it unfortunately produces a little more DHT, so you get a little more hair loss um, if, if uh. you're prone to that. But the, the other 
um, the, the injectable forms get transformed into the bioidentical form quickly after they get into the body. So they're essentially, sem- they're quite similar, but there is a mythology present in the hormone community that thinks that creams may be a little better. The creams need to be applied twice a day for a man and probably only three times a week or even twice a week for women because it lasts longer for them and they need a smaller dose. Uh. And so what you, like, is it, is it, okay, you do this for four weeks, you do it for six weeks. How do you know when it's not working or it is? Well, um, typically for older people, you know, our hormones, uh, crash and they never come, they never, they never come back up again. So yeah. it should be used chronically and, um, you have to put up with these minor side effects. Some of the women, get a little acne that can be treated with simple acne measures that aren't expensive mm-hmm. or sometimes a little hair growth, but the improvement in their health and their sense of well-being and their alertness and their sexuality and their physical performance with their muscles is so profound that most of them are willing to stay on it indefinitely. And that's, that's what I recommend. Now, a lot of people ask what happens when you go off the stuff. And certainly if you're somebody in your age group, there's a good chance to rebound to whatever your baseline was uh, after a few months. Um, uh, But, and in your age group, the ideal would be to use those stimulators for a while, maybe do some heavy weightlifting or um, something like that to stimulate your growth hormone and your testosterone um, in the meantime, and then go off of them or taper off of them and see where you are and see if you're still feeling good and, and so on and so forth. The other thing to bear in mind is the exact level may be much lower for a young person, paradoxically, and he or she may have excellent you know, physiological response, be able to get pregnant or, or, uh, be fertile and also have good muscle, um, um, growth and so on and so forth, response to exercise and so on at a lower level, because your tissues are more sensitive than the older people, higher levels Mm. for older people like me, (laughs) they don't produce as much good effect as they, you know, for you, it, it, you, you use as little as you can and still produce the desired effect. That's the, the general rule of thumb. Fascinating. Wow. Okay. Wow. So this is, uh, you have been diving into some interesting stuff here. Uh, the, the book is fresh and has just come out. What, where, where can people actually get access to that? Is it, is it on your website? Is it on Amazon? Well, you know, the easiest way to look at me and look at my material is Robert com, And, you know, all these books are available on Amazon and other platforms. I, put them everywhere I could. Uh, they're not exclusive to Amazon and the ebooks economical. I recommend the ebook if you, if you can get it because it's all the references are available as links. And if you want to take a dive, you can dive in at any point and, and see whether the references are credible. You know, the physical books, you may have to do some Googling, but some people can only stand to read on physical books. Ingram Sparks is the other uh, distributor. Okay. Very cool. Um, I will get all that linked up. I I do have one closing question for you that, uh, just from your years of experience, I'm curious about, and this translates over into like uh, other fields and, and I want you to maybe draw a parallel here, but you know, one of the books I read early on was like the checklist manifesto. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. that, I can't pronounce his name. He's an Indian, a (laughs) well-known Indian physician. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was a good book. It wasn't, it wasn't much in it, but (laughs) <laughs> right. For me, yeah. like, especially at the time that I read it and I got out of it, like, one okay, day, sis- I think is his name. Yeah. yeah. Systems, uh, workflow, automations, checklists, you know, how important those little things are. And, um, uh, 
the the connection that I had to that with you was just like just thinking about how a lot of the theme in the story was about physicians and how they're able to minimize risk, right? Uh, minimize the room for error, and at the same time, it's like. I don't know, precision in what you do is so, so important, but how, especially because you did it so long, you know, was there a point where it just became kind of like automaticity, like your brain doesn't think about it anymore and it can do it? The answer to that is, unfortunately, your experience extends to the day you retire. And that's bad experience as well as good experiences. And uh, if, if you guys are interested in the corruption stuff, my Butchered by Healthcare talks about a couple of patient deaths that I had in my office. And uh, you learn and learn and learn. And you do your best. And you have to forgive yourself if you made a, a mistake or anything like that. So, no, it's I, I think his concepts are very good, but they're the systems are so complex in healthcare, <laughs> right? And they're they're you know on a hospital level, there's they're I don't know how they manage to control anything. I mean, there's just you know the the, the people who die of medication errors in hospitals are stunning. It's like hundreds of thousands. It's scary. Of so that's about all I have to say. It's not an easy subject. No, no, yeah, and I guess one of the things is like the you know that is your field of play, or it was at a certain time, right? For a performer, comedian, it's like being on stage, right? For a writer, is being in front of the page, and you know, in all of these processes and different fields, you have to figure out a way to you know tunnel vision out the noise a little bit and be able to overcome maybe the fear that you're feeling or or the the high stress environments that you're exposed to was there a performance technique or a mental thing for yourself that you did that helped you get through certain shifts or surgeries and things like that well i'm a chronic exerciser and so okay. so i do all that stuff i, I did uh, this relatively high risk uh, athletic thing. I was a rock climber. Uh, but you know, you get too old for that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the neurosurgeons are uh, an example of people that have to overcome. They, uh, they have to have the nerve of a battlefield commander because they actually kill a, a few percent of the people they operate on as a matter of course, you know, they've got this thing called a aneurysm surgery, a berry aneurysm and a routine fatality rate for that operation is at least two to 4%. You know, I mean, it's, it's insane. So these guys have to be utterly indifferent to that or they couldn't operate. And I'm sure it's a thrill to save everybody else. And they don't save everybody else. They have a lot of horrible outcomes and I don't know how they tolerate it. So, so I have a lot of respect for them. And I go into that a little bit in uh, Butchered by Healthcare. I love that. Well, thank you so much, man. This was so fun uh, getting to talk with you. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. And um, yeah, I'll get everything linked up. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, where can they kind of keep up with what you're up to? Well, um, I you can get on my uh, newsletter list and I, I send updates if you get on uh, robertyohoauthor.com and uh, that's about the only thing I have to say in that regard. I'm not I'm not a Beautiful. social media guy. I'm 67. I mean, you know, I'm not on Facebook or any of that. You're not missing I out should. on anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's, uh, we were just talking about, you know, off air a little bit about the weekend sabbaticals, the digital sabbaticals. Um, I love that you've been doing that and, uh, you know, I'm sure like people my age and people where it's more like of a norm for us to be using it or there's more uh there's more temptation maybe too it's like i i appreciate that and and i'm glad you're doing it i'd love to it's maybe catch back up in a bit and and digital on sabbatical that's it digital that's sabbatical it. yeah yeah i'm i'm with it I'm, I'm gonna try it out too and i'll let you know how it goes in a little bit okay
All right. Well, thanks so much again, and I'll see you next time. 